the letter to the Messianic Jews, chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. For by it, the elders received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen did not come from anything visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. Through faith, he was, commanded, he was commended as righteous when God proved of his gifts. And through faith, he still speaks, although he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken so as not to see death, and he was not found because God took him. For before he was taken, he was commended as pleasing to God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about events not yet seen, in holy fear prepared an ark for the safety of his household. Through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Thank you, Kim. By the grace of God, we're beginning a series on faith that will last a number of weeks that will deal with issues such as the battle for faith, how do we grow in faith, how do we handle failures in faith, what is faith, what is not faith, and... Um, we will look at the gallery of those men and women of faith who are mentioned here in uh, Hebrews 11. But I first of all wanted to ask that we pause and ask the Lord's blessing and the anointing of his Ruach, his spirit, as we dive into this. Father God, we bless your name. Thank you for your word that is alive and actively powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord God, for how you communicate to us through your word and how it becomes alive in us and through us. And Lord God, we want to grow as students and practitioners and communicators of your word, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would take this series of messages, and Lord God, that each of us would hear and receive the word that you have for us, that we would grow by it into a greater degree of maturity in you, and that our lives will be transformed and fashioned, conformed, Father, to the image of your Son, Yeshua. Lord God, that is our expectation and our desire. And we ask all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Some of you who grew up in this country, which I did not, uh, probably know about Winnie the Pooh. And uh, you probably know about 
Mr. Eeyore. Uh, everybody's fam- uh, favorite pessimist, grouch, and depressive donkey, whose mantra was, things are bad, they could change, they can get worse. <laughs> and uh, I heard an interview with uh, John Cleese, one of the uh, key actors in Monty Python, who was uh, talking about his mother. And um, he talked about how that uh, the last few years of his life, he came to visit his mother every few weeks. And that without fail, what she did with him is she gave him a, a, a significant list of her problems and then proceeded to address those problems in great and nauseating detail. Because for her, this was her way of managing reality and and controlling life, that if she was not able to do that, then it's as if the problem slipped, slipped away and she had no control. Now, I don't think any of us here is that extreme, But I suspect at least one of us uh, sometimes exercises or participates in that foolish exercise. And I've certainly done that um, until God got a hold of me and said, uh, wake up, boy. This is not real smart. A, you don't have control. B, you can't change the past. And C, I have control. I know what's going on both in the present and in the future, so settle down. So eventually I got the message, but, um, you know, habits die hard, don't they? And when you're under stress, old habits keep coming back. And the last month or so has been one of those. You know, we had the wonderful time of the Moadim, the holidays. Um... But even that's stressful. Why? Because it's busy and there's more happening and you get more out of it, but you're stretched. Then uh, on top of that, we went through several weeks where it seemed like our, uh, our attendance was inconsistent. And you know how it is for folks in my wearing my particular kind of yarmulke that we see that over a period of weeks, our inclination is to say, things are changing. (laughs) And um, then on top of that, I had what I would call sheep problems. A a couple of situations where I pulled what few remaining hair I have because of some difficult issues with folks. And then over a period of time, you know, it was one of those... uh, Temptation to eerize. And I realized at some point there was really more happening than me and my, what we call in Yiddish, my mishigas, my goofiness. And I realized there was spiritual warfare going on. Because you know that wherever God is at work, Satan is at work. Now, We don't believe in a demon behind every bush, number one. Number two, we know that our daddy is greater. Amen? 
However, there are times when we are inclined to try and figure things out and rationalize and in order for us to get some kind of measure, some kind of control, until the Lord wakes us up and says, foolish boy or foolish lady, uh, there's something greater than you here. And so the Lord drew my attention to Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, God, I don't have the strength. You're going to have to give me some. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil one having done all things. Remain standing. In other words, you don't just take a defensive posture like, okay, we're getting through. But rather, um, you persevere. And as Michael so well pointed out earlier, we press on. See, that's the whole idea. Not just to be passive and defensive, but to press on through what's going on because the kingdom of God advances forcefully and in Ephesians 6 we're told that in all of the elements of the uh, spiritual armor we take on the shield of faith okay and by the way the shield of faith in those days was basically full length and at least for the Greeks and Romans, it locked together. Um, so you had a number of soldiers with their shields locking together and forming what was called a, a formation called phalanx. And that's how they advanced. But the Word of God tells us that faith is a major component in how we deal with life, how we deal with, deal with warfare, how, how we do the work of the kingdom of God because there are lots of times when we don't feel excited and adrenaline rush courses through us. There are times when what God calls us to do is to put one foot forward in front of the other and learn to persevere. And hopefully somewhere in there is persevering with joy, not just gritting of the teeth and saying, okay, we'll get through it. Faith, obviously, is a major component here. And this chapter has been called the Hall of Fame of Faith. You know, that there's a gallery of people, and, and you go from one to the other, and you ooh and ah over them. And reality is, like as is the case when you go to a gallery, you enjoy the pictures, and then you move on, and it doesn't make a huge impact. In fact, I would say that for us, if we are to be absolutely honest with ourselves, this Hall of Fame of Faith is frankly depressing because you look at these folks and say, that's not me. Uh, besides the fact that we're living several thousand years apart, um, there are lots of things about my life that really bear no connection to who they are until we stop and realize that, in a sense, life really hasn't changed. There's nothing new under the sun. And the struggle of faith is, to one degree or another, the same as it was two or 3,000 years ago. And as we look carefully into these pictures, and today we will stop at, at Noah, uh, Noah, there are people who are streaming upstream, up against the current. 
Now, it doesn't take a nuclear physicist to look at our society and realize which direction we're going. We're heading downstream, okay, down into the pit. And so for us, our walking with the Lord, our understanding of who He is means that we understand that we need to, f to swim upstream, sort of like the salmon, except we're not s swimming upstream to die. We're swimming upstream to live. So life circumstances were different, but they were swimming against the current of society and what we see repeatedly in this chapter is this little phrase, by faith, over and over and over and over and over again, uh, at least 20 times in 40 verses, which obviously tells us that faith is the key here. And furthermore, as we see, these people had God smile upon them. They were commended. By the way, the Greek word there is the word from which we get martyr, uh, but it simply means to be commended. In other words, to be validated. God looked at them and validated them and said, you're good, I like you. By faith. So, basic question is, what is faith? And in order for us to understand what is faith, we need to understand what is not faith. Not faith, obviously, is hoping and wishing and crossing your fingers. I hope you're not one of those who is inclined to cross your fingers. It's a minor uh, exercise of two fingers, and I don't think it accomplishes a whole lot more. Uh, neither does some generic, my thoughts and prayers are flying over the waves with you. I'm sorry, I'm being a little sarcastic here. Um... Neither is the notion that faith has little to do with practical reality. You know, I am uh, a person of, uh, I deal with the real world and I make things happen. They're, when there are problems, I fix them. Uh, the notion of this leap of faith doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so uh, that seems to be uh, taking faith and detaching it from real facts. That's also not what faith is about. Neither is it a mere mental assent of some historical fact. In other words, saying, yes, I know, I believe that Yeshua came, died, rose again, and is coming back. That really is not much faith, folks. That's a mental assent. And by the way, that's something that the Jewish community, the traditional Jewish community, accuses believers because they say, we are people of actions. We do things. We do mitzvot. We do commandments. You guys live in your head. You believe faith as if to say there's no connection between the two. That's not faith either. As James puts it very distinct, very succinctly, faith without works is dead. So that's what faith is not. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but this is my theory. That faith is a muscle. You say, what? Yes, it is a muscle in a sense that it has to be stretched. If you live your life today 
And a year from now, or two years from now, three years from now, you are not able to trust God any more than you were four or five years ago, then your faith is static and is limp and has no, not much life to it. Because Scripture tells us that our relationship with God exists or flourishes as we learn to trust God. So it's a muscle that we have to learn to stretch. And what God does for us is he custom designs situations where we can be, uh, where we are forced to make a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I going to freak or am I going to try and fix things myself? We come to forks in the road and, and they're not accidental. They don't just happen for us who are followers of Yeshua, for us who are children of God and are in relationship with him. Our lives are designed by the architect and builder. He, he sees to it that we come to forks in the road where we have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God or am I going to not trust God? And if, if we do, or as we do, then we learn how to grow in faith, how to grow in our relationship with God. We learn to press ahead and say, you know, this is pretty scary stuff. And Lord, if I trust you, and if I take the step, will there be something beneath my feet? Or will I go splat? It's part of a process of pressing forward. Like Paul puts it this way, I press on, I take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the, the prize for which God called me. Now, believe it or not, I was an athlete back in a dim and distant past. And... So for me, this is very vivid, the notion that there is a finish line and you somehow stretch towards the finish line. It's active, folks. Faith is not something passive where you sit around and you say, whatever, God. It's not one of these mystical, ethereal notions of faith and beauty and love and goodness. It's, it's out there. It makes me feel warm all over. But I have absolutely no clue what it means. That's not biblical faith, folks. The Hebrew word for faith, the, the verb from which faith comes in Hebrew, aman has the notion of conviction. Conviction that something is right. And because of that, then we take steps and we act in faith, or we are being faithful and trustworthy. I know there's a debate because people want to tease out and take a scalpel and divide faith from faithfulness, from trusting, and so on. It's all part of the same package. The same thing is in Greek. The word pistos means something that is completely believable. And because of that, you put your faith and reliance upon that. In other words... Do you feel confident enough in God to take steps? Or do you feel that if you take a step, you will end up splat, flat on the floor in an absolute mess? And this is where 
in a sense where the rubber hits the road, where you, where real spiritual growth comes about. Nobody sees what's going on. It's not uh, splashed on the PowerPoint. It is simply you and God in that um, quiet moment when you have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God? Am I not going to trust God? And faith is first and foremost based on understanding who God is. Now, if you have a bunch of lies about who God is, that you feel that he is the celestial Scrooge, in other words, that if you're having a good time, God looks down and says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, we're going to put a stop to that. I don't believe in fun. I'm going to make you suffer. If you believe in that, if you believe that he is, that his goal is to make you suffer just because he doesn't have anything else to do at that particular moment, like the Greek gods, you're believing lies. If you believe that God has no interest in you and in your life, you're believing a lie. So it all has to be anchored on your understanding of who God is. And so the writer puts it this way, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I want to be very careful that there's reality to this. We're not talking about someone going Meshuggi and seeing green Martians and saying, oh, yeah, I see them. They're coming from here. They're coming from here. I'm positive about that. That's not faith, folks. That's insanity. That's fantasy. Faith is knowing who God is and, and, ho- and hoping. And by the way, we also confuse the word hope because it's one of these um, passive whatever. Biblically, the, word for, the words for hope, particularly in Hebrew, convey the notion of confident expectation. In other words, you know who God is. You have some clue of what it is that he has for you and you pursue it because you trust God. Now, this is not to imply that God presses a button and a trapdoor opens and you get a full schematic of what God has for you from here to here to here to here. But basic understanding of how God reveals himself in this word and pointing your nose in that direction. And the basic reality is that we know that God is the Redeemer. In other words, he is the fixer. He takes messes and he fixes them as we learn to trust him. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who reverence him, who put their hope in his unfailing love, his chesed. And so, as you might imagine, in 25 years of ministry to Yeshua Tzion, I've often come to this fork in the road. Am I going to trust God? Or am I going to say, okay, uh, this is not working real well. I think I'm go- going to go into real estate. And by the way, I have no, no such delusions, in case you wonder. And so part of reality for me 
is knowing who God is, and folks, Yeshua Tzion is God's gig. He's the one that began it. It was his idea. And yes, we had visions. We had notions. We, we um, conviction of what we believe God wanted us to do, but he's the one that, that began it. And so we take those steps, those baby steps sometimes, sometimes bigger, in confidence that he will bring things about. That's faith. Verse 2. The ancients were commended for their faith. And I want to skip down to verse 6 for a moment. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Greek word there has the notion of seeking God with passion. In other words, what is God looking for from you? Is he looking for um, a whole bunch of service? Is he, does he want you to be able to list uh, a bunch of things that you have done for God? Often uh, gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I know I have no choice. If I don't do this, God will zap me. Or is God looking first and foremost for your heart? And folks, biblically, over and over and over again, what God is after first and foremost is our heart. He knows our hearts. We can't snow him. We can't put on a facade like we, we do with each other. He knows us intimately. As Psalm 139 tells us, he knows our thoughts before we even think those thoughts. And what God is looking for is a basic attitude of trust that says, Abba, you have good plans for my life. This is not like, you know, to go to the extreme, Meshuggi extreme of, uh, yeah, God, uh, I'm getting up this morning. Uh, What uh, pair of pants, what color dress do you want me to wear today? But the basic outlines of what God has for us. And as we read the Word of God, as we study, as we incorporate it into our thinking, as it becomes part of our DNA, part of our uh, computer software, then we get to understand more fully who God is, what He wants, and we understand His will, and... Part of the process is that we line, we endeavor to line up with his plan and his strategy. And all that is done by faith. First of all, growing in our ability to trust God, and of course, once we learn to trust God, then we learn to be faithful in doing what he puts before us. Small things. By the way, Yeshua, if you remember the parable of the talents, Yeshua said, the master said to the, to the servant, well, good, done, and, and faithful servant, you have been faithful in the small things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come into the master's joy. That's the brass ring. That's the payoff, folks. Is not having more stuff to do, but knowing that you and God are co-laborers. You are partners in the work of his kingdom. 
That's the joy, folks. And you learn that as, as you are faithful, but that first of all begins by trusting God, learning to live by faith. Now, again, this does not suggest that we totally disregard reality and, and say, uh, I don't care what the facts on the ground are, therefore, I'm going to live by faith, la-di-da-di-da. Yes, we have to take the facts on the ground into, into consideration, but above all, we have to see God's version of the facts and pursue that. And the writer tells us that by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Yes, we have some evidence, scientific evidence, and so on and so forth, but when push comes to shove, you and I were not there at creation, were we? So it's, it's a statement of faith where we say we understand from what we do see the facts that we don't see. This is, of course, referring to Psalm 36 by the word, uh, excuse me, 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So this is what faith is about, folks, is learning to trust God and to say, Lord, this is difficult and, and it's complicated and I don't understand it and I don't really f like it, but you seem to be leading me in this direction and I'm not going to try and grab it with both hands and try to fix it and rearrange reality according to what I think. But I'm going to trust you that you're going to direct me and show me which way to go. And as Psalm 37 tells us, acknowledge the Lord in all things and he will make your path straight. So that's what faith is about. Then he goes on to talk about three individuals that we'll look at today that were considered to be people of faith. First of all, Abel. Now, I've never noticed the fact that Mama and Papa were not listed there. Adam and Eve were not listed as people of faith. Did you know that? Now, this is not to sit in great an awful judgment of them. It's just that the writer of, of this letter, as he is led by the Spirit of God, does not have much evidence to say that these were people of faith. So he comes to Abel. And um, Abel is described as someone who lived by faith by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Through faith, he was commended righteous when God approved of his gifts, and through faith, he still speaks. By the way, you notice that it speaks about gifts. It was not a one-time deal. In other words, um, Abel didn't rush to, the, uh, to his flock, grab a little lammy, brought him to God, did whatever he needed to do, and said, God, what do you think? Gifts, meaning plural. Um, so why did God like or favor 
Abel's gifts and not Cain's. Well, the standard misconception is that God had favor on Abel because he brought an animal. And because it was an animal, there was an animal sacrifice, and there was blood, and there was atonement. No! Absolutely not. Cain and Abel brought from what God had given them. Folks, God does not expect you to give what he hasn't given you. You know, the notion of reaching by pseudo-faith and giving to God something that you don't have is not biblical. Biblical pattern of giving is God gives you, you give. So we're told that Cain and Abel both gave from what they had. No problem with that. God doesn't have a problem with vegetables and prefer steak instead of vegetables. The difference is, if you notice, if you look at the language carefully, it speaks about the fact that Abel brought the first fruits, the firstlings, and he brought the fat. Now you think, well, fat, okay, that uh, I can handle giving fat away. I don't like fat. Here, God, take it. But in those days, giving fat was the best that you had. And if you read the biblical sacrifices, you'll see over and over and over again that the fat was always given to God. It was always brought and put on the altar. You didn't dare take the fat for yourself. So somehow Abel had the notion, the the grasp, that you take the firstlings, and the, the first fruits, and you give them to God. And you take the fat portions, you give them to God. And that, by the way, was not something that happened overnight in two seconds. It was something that some thought, consideration went into it, and of course faith. And you, when you read the uh, account of the sacrifices, the Lord says, when I see your sacrifices, your olot, your burnt offerings, they will be like sweet-smelling incense. Uh, in other words, I will look at what you did, and it will make me feel like, wow, that feels so good. Now again, this is spiritual symbolism here. Uh, the smell of burnt flesh isn't particularly appealing to any of us, nor is it really to God. It's simply the notion of you giving God the best that you have. That's what the burnt offering is about. Ola. That's what Abel did. God liked that. Cain, on the other hand, brought something from his crops. The notion, the sense that you get is he said, well, okay, I need to bring something. I don't know what to bring. Well, whatever, okay. Here's something. Now, I know I'm reading somewhat into Scripture. However, Cain's attitude then proceeded to validate that. His attitude then showed clearly that he was not doing what he was doing by faith, trusting God. God rejected his offering, probably didn't consume it. And you don't see Cain standing back and saying, wow, God, I really goofed here. What what was the problem? Tell me what was going on. Show me what I need to do. You don't see that. And of course, his attitude is to 
Abel, come on, let's go out into the field where I can kill you. All of that showed that Cain clearly was not doing what he was doing by faith. It was not animal versus vegetable. And we're told that he did what he did by faith. God validated him. God smiled upon him. And furthermore, what, what Scripture says here is that his story continues to inspire people to trust God and live by faith. Why? Well, think about it. If you're a farmer and you take the best that you have from your flock and bring it to God, what does that mean? It means that you don't have as much as you had before. And it also means that you're going to have to trust God that he will make up the difference. And it's a basic principle, folks, that when you and I serve God in whatever capacity we do, whether it's at home, whether it's at Yeshua Tzion, here in your spiritual family, whether it is uh, in your school, in your work, when you give of yourself to people because God leads you, then it is an offering, it is a sacrifice, and you have to say, okay, God, I'm doing that because I'm trusting that you will see to it that everything is worked out. So that was Abel's faith. And then we come to Enoch. In Hebrew, Chanoch. I'm not going to ask you to pronounce it. Enoch. What was the story with Enoch? Well, it, you know, it's one of these, you know, sometimes in Scripture you have these uh, quick brush strokes. You know, you've seen artists standing doing 60-second brush uh, portraits. And and at least on some level you say, okay, uh, Lord, why don't you give us a fuller picture, you know, uh, more of the video of what was going on here. The Word of God doesn't tell us much other than Enoch, as the King James puts it, was translated from uh, Hebrew to Greek. <laughs> um, he was beamed up. He was taken. Because God had taken him. He didn't experience death. You don't know why he was taken. Um, what we do know is one basic fact. And that is, he pleased God. The one expression, if you were to go back to Genesis, what is mentioned a couple of times in Genesis, in chapter 5, is that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. It doesn't say Enoch lived. It says Enoch walked with God. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, what it tells you, obviously, is that what defined Enoch's life is his relationship with God. This expression, to walk, begins all the way in the garden where we see that the voice of God um, sounded, uh, the, the voice sounded like God, God's voice was walking in the cool of the garden. In other words, God was wanting to hang out with, with Adam and Eve. And he did that with Enoch. And by the way, I realized that not everybody in Enoch's generation was this, uh, was this wonderful saint. 
But Enoch chose to walk with God. And that, by the way, is also what we see God saying to Abraham later on. Walk before me and be blameless. Short version is that God said to Enoch, uh, you've enjoyed life. We've walked together. Now it's time for you to come up. I don't know about you. That sounds uh, remarkably good. I am uh, at this point in life quite ready to be beamed up. And then, of course, we come to Noah. And when you think about Noah, he's another one of these characters. You say, okay, that's a very nice Bible story. Um, I learned it as a kid. Um, Noah was Noah, and Chaim is Chaim. Um, I don't plan to give to sire three boys when I'm 500 years old. Um, and the last time I checked, I, I don't believe God has called me to uh, build a boat that would take about 100 years, give or take. Um, so on some level, I look at, at Noah and I say, okay, that's very nice, Noah, but that's you. And um, But uh, folks, in, lots, in so many ways, Scripture is contemporary. In other words... The Word of God gives us pictures of people who live in some ways like, like we are. Let me read to you the description that is given of Noah's generation. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, Baruch Hashem, praise God, we're not there yet. We have lots and lots of people who are morally upright, who are not believers in the sense that we understand them to be believers, but who have a basic sense of morality. But that seems to be eroding. That seems to be eroding. The morality is changing to amorality. In other words, no morals. Um, I'm having a bad day, so I'm going to pick up a gun and I'm going to go blow somebody away. Etc., etc., etc. And so you can understand that the Lord looks at this environment in Noah's day and he could have said, Get me out of here. I don't want to do anything with these people. But remember, folks, that what God is about, let me say this again, what God is about is about redemption. In any given situation that you find yourself, you can be 100% sure that it is God's will, God's counsel, God's strategy in that situation to work to bring about redemption, restoration, reconciliation. God doesn't hold you responsible for the whole world. He holds you responsible for you. And Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. And he found favor in God's eyes. And he was considered righteous. And in Genesis 6, the account of Noah, we're told that Noah 
walked with God, the same expression. In other words, Noah did all these wonderful things that God commanded him. God, he, he built the, uh, the ark when everybody was looking at him as if he was absolutely mishugi. And uh, he obeyed God to the letter. However, what he is validated by is his faith. The basic trust that says, Lord, I don't understand things. This makes absolute, absolutely no sense. Um, but you have a plan. And by the way, that's what sovereignty is about. God's sovereignty is that God has a plan and God has the power to bring about that plan into reality. And that's true for this crazy, whacked out world. It's also true for you and I. And it was the case with, with Noah. And it was the case with Enoch. And it was the case with Abel. And as we'll see next week, it was the case with Abram. And as we look, we will see that these were not perfect men and women. They had faults. And scripture is very emphatic in showing us their warts. And I, for one, am grateful that we see those warts. Because it tells me that faith was not perfect, that there was faith struggle. But it simply tells us, okay, I understand that life tends to be a jungle. You know, I don't know if you have ever seen pictures of jungles or been in intense forests. Faith, life seems like a jungle. And uh, faith means that we trust that God will go ahead of us with a machete or with a bulldozer and blaze the trail so that we can walk in the path that he's prepared for us. You're willing to trust God? Or does life seem so beyond your control that you don't believe it's under God's control? Faith is about a relationship, growing in a relationship with God and saying, God, I want to be farther along in, who, in my relationship with you today than I was a year ago. Can you say that? Or do you just want to go, okay, well, whatever. Uh, I'm going to take the, uh, this pathway. Your Faith means, folks, that you have basic confidence that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or even imagine. Faith means that you learn to appreciate God more, you learn to love Him more, you learn to understand Him more, you learn to be in line with His will. And through it all, you learn to trust Him. That's the challenge for us as we live our life, as we endeavor not just to get through, but as we endeavor to press forward, to flourish, and to press forward to accomplish what God has put before each of us to accomplish. Let's pray.
Abba Father, thank you that you know us intimately. You know our faith that sometimes we are men and women of little faith and sometimes we struggle and sometimes we fail and do things not by faith but by sin, by the flesh, by our thoughts and our ideas. And Lord, we pray that your Ruach, your Spirit would teach us to walk in your ways, trusting you in all those challenging areas in our life for which we don't seem to have answers, for which we struggle, even the areas that are painful. Lord God, we want above all to do your will. So I pray, Lord God, for each one of my brothers and sisters here. Pray, Lord God, for that deep, passionate, bedrock conviction. Lord God, to press ahead, to do your will, to walk in simple, childlike trust in you, to learn to be faithful and to do your will. Father God, I ask for each one of us, thank you that you know us where we are, and we simply pray. Lord God, that you take that you would take your word as it is expressed here in this in this chapter, and that you cause us, Lord God, to follow your commandments, Lord, and that you would receive honor and glory in our life as we learn to do that, Lord. We um, ask this in the name of Yeshua. I mean...